welcome to episode 16 of the Memorabilia Podcast. I'm Rick, I'm here with my wife, Kate. And hello. Hello, Kate. <laughs> and today we are covering uh, an album from 1992. It is an album entitled Up by Right Said Fred. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the premise of this podcast, if you've not listened to us before, is that we each select a vinyl record from each other's collection. And um, so it was my turn to choose one from Kate's collection this week. Just making that clear, because he's quite, he's quite concerned about this record. <laughs> concerned? I don't know if that's the right word. I wasn't really looking forward to, uh, yeah, doing the research on this one. But... Um, but there we are. We wanted a different year. We'd, we'd been kind of around the same same years. We've only on episode 16. We've done a lot in the 80s uh, and a couple in 1991. So we're stretching it out a bit, 1992. So it was good looking back on 92, if not the album. Oh, I'm wounded. <laughs> uh, I've tried to be positive. <coughs> not very hard, though. <laughs> well, you'll see. You'll see. Uh, so yeah, without further ado, that's back, is it? <laughs> it's never gone away. Let's get into it. <laughs> so it is uh, Sunday, the twelfth of December, a couple of weeks from Christmas. Mm-hmm. Exactly a couple of weeks from Christmas. Exactly. Bo- no, yesterday. Oh yeah, the Boxing Day <clears throat> in two weeks. Uh, but yeah, I've got one more week left to do at work, and then I'm finished for two weeks. So I'm quite excited about that. We may even be able to uh, get a couple of episodes in the can. Might have a bit more time. You say that, and then you'll just start doing loads of football stuff, and then you'll be too busy. <laughs> loads of football stuff? No, no, that's uh, that takes a break as well. I've got, <clears throat> we've got one game next week, next Saturday, and then that's it until the 8th of January. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that there's a ma- match on Boxing Day. Yeah, uh, that's just Sheffield and... Wednesday stuff, that's just... <laughs> I ain't gonna do it for that other than drive there, watch it, get depressed and come back. <laughs> so you've lost at least two days for that though. <laughs> they won it yesterday. Well actually won. They actually or just won. Didn't no. lose. They won. Two no. Come on, Wednesday boys. <laughs> so how are you? You've had a busy week as well. It's been a bit crazy in this house. We've hardly, we've hardly seen each other, have we? I've no, been... we we did a great um, discussion of our son's university prospects in the car in five minutes the other day, didn't we? We did. Like... We did. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm alright, tired. Just finished the amateur dramatic pantomime performances last night. First one for post pandemic, so that was good. It was good to do. Nice to get back to it. Tiring job though. Not just because you were on stage and it's all a bit adrenalised and <laughs> stressy and all that kind of stuff, but what else, what else have you been doing? Tell people what the panto was. The sword in the... Oh, in the scone. So, yeah, I've been making scones all bloody week. Oh, so when, when, when you don't like them, are they scones? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I've always said scone. Have you? But we were told we had to say scone in the panto, otherwise the gag don't work, does it? <laughs> so, so everybody was, like, watching the way they said it really carefully. <laughs> but now I'm like, no, I'm free now. Free to express myself as I choose. So it's back to being a scone. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. So, have you got any for us? Uh, there's some in the freezer, but <laughs> I could quite cheerfully not see another scone for a very long time. 
Yeah, all got a bit much, didn't it? Anyway, so that's all done and dusted. You've just got to go back tonight to uh, help clear the hole. Yeah. So this might be a, an interrupted episode. We might have to do a bit and then finish it off later if we've got a chance. Because the app wouldn't work either. There's been all kinds of technical issues at uh, at home with this. Uh, so I had to download a new version of uh, uh, iOS for my iPhone. I had to clear a load Stupid of blooming. I know. I had to clear a load of space off it first to make space. <coughs> so yeah, we're a bit later than we uh, well, you we know hoped. What on I this. think about Apple devices. I know. I know. <laughs> anyway, you better not say too much because they'll be listening. You know. <laughs> Yeah, well, if they are, right, <laughs> stop building in obsolescence into your devices. That's what I say. There you go. You ethically unsound bastards. <laughs> I'm going to have to do a booming B part of that now. No, you won't. Why will you? Because it's supposed to categorise it as clean or explicit. Oh. It's just a good old Anglo-Saxon word. You'll be fine. OK. <laughs> Let's see what happens with that then. Anyway, I thought we'd start tonight, seeing as we had just uh, watched the next five um, singles. We've been covering the top 500 songs of all time as um, released in a list in September this year by the Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, we're covering the top 50, so we're down to number 30. So we're covering 30 to 26 today. And um, yeah, we've just watched the videos for three of them. One of them we didn't need to because we knew the song and it was just kind of a, an old archive fo footage when we get to that. And then the other one, the last one, is a song that we'd, we'd never heard. But anyway, starting at number 30, we have a song from 2013. Uh, the artist is Lord, with an E on the end. Is it Lord or Lorde? This is how much I do not know this artist. Lord. Right, OK. Just checking. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I presume it is, yeah. I think what I've heard, because I, I said to you when we were listening to it, I'd heard it a few times on the radio, and I'm sure it's just Lord. I've read the name a few times, but we were just saying, I, I don't think I've ever heard this. But the reason is because Charlotte, our youngest child, was such a nightmare. I don't think I listened to the radio or any music at all <laughs> for about five years. And this was right in the middle of that period. so It's a pretty sad state of affairs, isn't it? When you it think is about really, it. yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. anyway, the song is Royals. Um, and it, it achieved a big, big international chart success. It reached number one in loads of different countries, uh, including Belgium, Republic of Ireland, Israel, Italy, New Zealand, Spain, Sweden, Canada, United Kingdom, and spent nine weeks atop of the Billboard Hot 100, which is pretty impressive, and it sold 10 million units worldwide, making it one of the best-selling singles of all time. So yeah, big cheese single. Um, in terms of what it is about, Lord told Rolling Stone that she'd always been fascinated with aristocracy, uh, and the uh, the song came out of nowhere, and it was written in half an hour. She was fifteen at the time when she wrote it, and uh, she took influence from the diamond encrusted swagger of Kanye West and Jay Z's "Watch the Throne," another song I never heard of. Uh, as well as the muted electronic works of artists like James Blake. So, there you go, I think it's a good song. Uh, she later said that she was definitely poking fun at a lot of things people take to be normal. What did you think to it, as soon as you'd never heard it before? Yeah, I liked it. I was like, oh, oh that's what she sounds like. I quite like that. 
Yeah, it's got a good good melody to it. It's <clears> not a mega complicated song, but you can see why it was yeah. very successful. Again, I'm always going to keep saying this. I think for every song we hear on this list, would I put it in the top 50 songs of all time or even the top 500? <laughs> Probably not, but it's not all about my taste, is it? Anyway, so, yeah, not I mean, to be fair, if it start. was your top 50, it would be quite one-dimensional in terms of music genres, <laughs> wouldn't it? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, it would. I don't know. There'd be quite a bit of pop in there, a bit of heavy metal, probably. Quite a lot of Indian alternative. Mostly. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I'm not going to put that list together. Don't even start me on that. <laughs> There you be... go, that's your extra no. time over Christmas time. No, 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 no. <laughs> I ain't going there flipping like that. I'll just swallow the whole two weeks. It'd drive me nuts. Anyway, 29. Uh, this is not one of my genres. This is Dr. Dre featuring Snoop Doggy Dog and a song called Nothing But A G Thang. Um, it reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100 on March the 20th, 1993, and it was kept off the number one spot by... Informer by Snow. You remember that song? No. Should I? <laughs> yeah. No, okay. In the UK, it reached number 31. Uh, and the only other fact I've got about this was that Snoop was in jail when he recorded the vocals. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure how they managed that, but they managed it somehow. Yeah, Informer is that song <clears> where <throat> you think he's singing about a farmer. Farmer. A tricky bomb bomb now. I mean, I'm literally like, what on earth are you talking about? <laughs> okay, maybe I need to play that to I you mean, in between the breaks. I mean, 1992, I was in my second year of university. Uh, clearly, I was listening to Right Said Fred. <laughs> <laughs> and, I was going to say, that's um, what this year's from, yeah. Which I bought as a bit of a joke. And, like, yeah, I probably wasn't really doing chart stuff. So. Yeah, fair dues. I don't know how that did... I don't think it got to number one in the UK, that Informer song, but it definitely was kind of around at that time. I'll play it to you later, see what you think. Thanks. You'll, prob- you'll probably remember it, rather <laughs> than for my bad singing. Uh, so what did you think to Nothing But A G Thing? I really don't like it. Good, because neither I did just, I. I just, even the video, it's just the whole, like, culture of the, the way that women were portrayed in it and uh, just nah it's a total turn off so not my thing even slightly can't couldn't and sometimes I can listen to rap and I'm like hmm you know I'm I'm not hating this you know I'm I'm kind of I can see the merit in it and this I was just like nah (laughs) this is not nothing for me there yeah that video hasn't uh, aged very well I'm not sure they get away with some of that stuff in it yeah probably Probably didn't help. Yeah, you kind of forget as well that it's obviously it's, it's old. <laughs> I mean, and things have moved on. So yeah. thirty years, isn't it? Yeah. Next year. So. Yeah. Anyway, on to better stuff. At twenty eight, we have "Once in a Lifetime" by the brilliant Talking Heads. Uh, I didn't realise that Brian Eno, the producer, got a writing credit on this, uh, along with the rest of the band, who are Chris Franz, David Byrne, uh, who did the lyrics, uh, Jerry Harrison, and Tina Weymouth. Um, and apparently Talking Heads had a difficult time bringing Once in a Lifetime to life and uh, the song began during Jam's Compass Point Studios in the Bahamas as the band worked on its groundbreaking Afro-funk can't even say it, influenced album Remaining Light 
producer and co-writer Brian Eno wanted to ditch the tune altogether until David Byrne started performing his same as it ever was monologue like an evangelical preacher, which somehow sharpened his message about questioning identity and reality. What a song. Yeah, no? Yeah, I like it. I just... <laughs> yeah. Uh, he said, we're largely unconscious, the singer once said, you know we operate half awake or on autopilot and end up whatever with a house and a family and a job and everything else and we haven't really stopped to ask ourselves, how did I get here? So yeah, it's a good concept, really good song, a worthy entrant. 27, we've <clears> got um, another terrific song, an epic. Kate's raising her eyes because she's not a fan of this artist. It's uh, Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. And this was from 1975. Reached number 23 in the US Billboard Top 100. In the UK, it failed to chart. I'm not sure whether that's because it was released as a, a single or not. Um, it was actually covered by Frankie Goes to Hollywood on their debut album, Welcome to the Pleasure Dome, which I didn't know, in 1984. Um, but yeah, definitely one that I would say is a, an epic. Uh, even though it's only four and a half minutes long, uh, it seems longer. <laughs> but in a good, but in a good way. There's a, there's so much going on in that song. It seems like it's like gone on for longer. Say nothing. Go on, have your say. Ah, it's just it's alright. I mean, I wouldn't walk off the dance floor, but I equally I wouldn't walk on either. So. Yeah. I don't think it's that kind of song, though, is it? The uh, head to the dance floor kind of song. But if you were listening to it live, I think it's one of them songs that you can immerse yourself. I in. wouldn't listen to it live. I've never paid to go to a Bruce Springsteen concert. It just wouldn't happen. I think I would. I'm not like into Springsteen. I'm not like one of these, you know, mega fans that there are plenty of. But. Uh, I think he's one of those artists that, I'd, if I got the chance, I'd like to see. I mean, if I was drunk, I'd mug through it, for sure. But, <laughs> like, <laughs> just... Well, it took him three and a half months to cut the song. Uh, and Bruce Springsteen said, I had enormous ambitions for it. I wanted to make the greatest rock record I'd ever heard. And Springsteen's lyrics tell the story of a young lovers on the highway of New Jersey. I don't know how important the settings are. He said it's the idea behind the settings. It could be New Jersey, it could be California, it could be Alaska. Uh, it was heavily featured in the film. Did you watch that film with me, that one? It was quite recent. Um, oh, It was all about the, the kid, the Asian lad who discovered Bruce Springsteen's music. No. Yeah, I can't remember the title of it, unless that was Born to Run. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think Can't it was remember. I know which one you mean but yeah, I, I've not had enough sleep my brain's not functioning well today so we'll come back to that I'll find that out in one of our little breaks um, anyway the final one in our five that we're covering today is a song called A Case of You by Joni Mitchell this was from 1971 and it was uh, on Mitchell's landmark Blue album and uh, it was a song I'd never heard of. It wasn't released as a single. And and uh, the song, it's a, a composite of several men in her life during that time, notably Leonard Cohen and James Taylor, who joins in on the guitar, with Mitchell herself on the dulcimer. She later dismissed the case of you as a doormat song, yet remains one of her most beloved. Prince, who once said that Joan's music should be taught in school, 
if just from a literature standpoint, covered it several times during his career. My comment on this one is, is it better than Big Yellow Taxi or Both Sides Now? No, probably no. not. But I always feel like Joni Mitchell I, I should get into and then I listen to a song and I'm like, <laughs> just I like Big Yellow Taxi but I think it's more of a familiarity thing. Yeah. Plus uh, it's been covered a few times and I like some of the covers. Yeah, that Counting Crows version is good, mm. isn't it? But, but yeah, I just... Like, like we, were, we were listening to this, so I was like, oh, right, yeah, Joni Mitchell, I should pay attention. And I was like, my mind just started to drift. <laughs> started talking about something else. And I was yeah. just... I've never... It, <clears throat> a bit like you, it's an artist I've never really listened to and purposely sought out, but I really like both sides now. I really like Big Yellow Taxi, but... I don't know, her voice is good, but it's different, but the recordings just don't make you want to kind of seek out more for me so there we go so uh, we're into the top 25 next week mm-hmm. see if there's any more songs we've never heard of I mean I would say that's a given <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're probably right but on to Right Said Fred then and this album uh, it's 1992 we're both 20 years old because this album was released in March on March the 16th so that was uh a week after I'd turned 20. And uh, it's got a sticker on it. So we know where this one was bought. Go on, Kate, you tell the story. Robert's Records. I don't, there's no story. Just bought it at Robert, Robert's Records. <laughs> In Woodbridge. Yeah. I must have, if it was March, I assume I must have gone home at Easter and bought it. Right. I see my parents and bought it then. Yeah, because you were in Leeds at the time, yeah? Yeah. Okay. So what made what made you buy it? Um, I just thought it was quite funny. I quite, it's quite a good pop record, um, albeit with elements of novelty, but the whole thing is not a novelty record. No. Uh, plus, I always um, really liked the actual Right Said Fred <laughs> song. Yeah, Bernie Cribbins. Yeah. 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 I think I might actually have that on record somewhere. Really? Um, maybe, maybe not. Maybe a different one. But, but yeah, I just so yeah, it was just kind of curiosity, amusement, just yeah. Fair enough. And if it was, well, it came out in March. Um, they released four singles off the album. Three of them were just just before, well. I'll get into it in a bit, but yeah, the third one, Deeply Dippy, was out in a week before the album was released, and they'd already released two other singles before that. And uh, had anyone else in the house that you were living in, were they into oh, it? Oh, they as hated well? it. Did they? Right. <laughs> Absolutely hated it. Right. And, and just thought I was a complete idiot for buying it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm keeping tight lips. <laughs> <laughs> There's that old adage in there, if you haven't got anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> I think the thing is though, I um I've always had very eclectic music taste. Like you know, I've got I've got vinyl that runs from nineteen forties sort of wartime songs to yeah. big bands to musicals to goth 
to to like um sort of like Aerosmith and and I used to have but stupidly gave it to my brother. Um Ooh, that's never good. <laughs> um Motorhead and you know, I'm, it's all over the place. And so it sits very comfortably within the range of stuff I have. Which and the range of music that I like. Jonathan. Matthew. Matthew. Who's no doubt thrown it away. <laughs> Still kicking myself for giving it to him. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone's got one or, one or two of them records. Handed on and regretted later on. Because it wasn't cool or whatever at the time. So I, We yeah. swapped it for something. Oh, did you? Yeah. Which was fine because I wasn't really listening to it. It wasn't that I didn't like it. I just hadn't listened to it for a while. But now I'm like, oh, why did I give him that? <laughs> Yeah, it's, <clears throat> I was thinking about this earlier. It's a bit, it's a bit of a challenge, kind of. I found it hard picking uh, records from your vinyl. Once we get onto CDs, it'll be fine. Um, I mean, you say that, but you've never really looked at my CD collection. I have, because <laughs> they're all upstairs in my study, so... <laughs> no, I have. But with this, it's... Um, you've got quite a lot of artists where you've got multiple albums. Obviously, Mark Arman's dominant in there, and... I know we've done soft sell, so we can we'll do a Mark Arman. Uh, uh, Rick asked me to pick my favourite, and I was like, "It'd be easier to pick a favourite child." <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a lot of stuff that, as you've said, there's like that old wartime stuff that because you've got to try to think about things that people might be interested in. Have you? I mean, I'm doing this for me, quite frankly, not for other people. <laughs> and Your here, face. Here lies the problem. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, so there's there's some really obscure stuff in there. I'm gonna pick one or two of them out, things that I've never heard of. But I'll, I'll be interested. I will enjoy doing those. But it's like, you know, if you're putting this out on social media, which is a way of kind of attracting uh, listeners, there's quite a bit in there that isn't gonna do that. You know. So. Well, in your opinion, that's because you've got a very narrow. <laughs> Well, let's see. Let's see. I mean, it's been interesting <coughs> seeing which episodes get the most plays. I mean, Wham's Miles out there. I never thought that would be. But <laughs> that could be the fact that we had, like, David and Alan there and they've shared it amongst their friends and they're interested in listening to it. And then... Not uh, just because Wham are brilliant. <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm not saying it's that, but it's, you know, I'm just saying that, you know, the other one that's doing well is <clears> the Caretaker Race one. Which, again, because we've got a guest on it and I'm guessing that people that were really into that will have picked up on that and you know that's doing quite well so anyway so future future <laughs> selections are going to be interesting so what else were you listening to in 1992 <clears throat> can you remember uh pavement pavement oh, i didn't uh, know you were into pavement did you you haven't got any of that stuff though have you no i probably had it all on tape um American Music Club. That's around the same time, is it? Because that's one of the ones that I'll pick to Tinder listen to. Tinder Sticks. Right. The Cure. So I've seen the Tinder Sticks live. I've seen Pavement live. Haven't seen The Cure, but tickets on sale. I know. Do you want some for your birthday I or don't not? Know. I don't know. Hurry up and decide. think about it. Flipping egg. Otherwise, we're not going to get a chance <clears throat> to go. If you want them, I'll well, get them. If you want to go, you get tickets for your birthday. Well, I'm, I'm not as bothered as you. <laughs> Oh, because I sound really bothered, like, when I'm going, oh, I don't know if I want to go. <laughs> All right, OK, I'll think of something else then. Yeah, we've both got our 50s coming up. 
fiftieth birthday is, is uh, at the start of next year. So we are in the planning mode, including a a big party at our house. So there we go. Anyway, let's get back into right said Fred, and um, start with a band. So as you've already said, that the, the group were named after the, the novelty song Right Said Fred, which was a hit single for Bernard Cribbins. What a great guy he was. What was he on? He was on loads of kids' TV stuff, wasn't he? Uh, he used to do Jack and Ori. I remember him on Jack and Ori. Very good, wasn't he? Uh, but yeah, that was a hit in 1962. Um, and before they were in Right Said Fred, they had two brothers, Richard and Fred. But that's not his real name. His real name is Christopher. Christopher being the younger one. Uh, they've been playing music since the 70s. They formed a band called The Actors. And they'd actually supported Joy Division at uh, the Factory Club in Manchester, which is quite impressive. Uh, they grew up in East Grinstead in West Sussex and they formed the group in 1989 with Richard on lead vocals and bass and Fred on guitar. And uh, before that, Richard was a, a session bass player for artists including Boy George, Mick Jagger and David Bowie. And he actually appears as the bass guitarist in Bowie's short film Jazzing for Blue Jean. Never heard of it, don't know it? No. You're more of a Bowie man than I am. Uh, but that was from 1987. And he'd also worked as a waiter, a painter, a decorator and a busker. <laughs> Bit eclectic. And Fred appeared as a guitarist in the Bob Dylan vehicle Hearts of Fire. Uh, in 1990, they added Rob Manzoli to the band, and he remained with them until 97. Uh, and in 1994, Richard was joint winner of the year of the rear, year of the rear, rear of the year <laughs> with Mandy Smith. I'd have thought Mandy Smith was a bit skinny for a, a rear of the year accolade. I can truly say that I've never studied Mandy Smith's rear to have a, an opinion of that. Well, more fool you. <laughs> well, okay. Um, <clears throat> he's been a host of TV programmes, including a BBC programme called... Uh, where has it gone? Gay Time TV, which was aimed at an LG... BT audience and Madonna publicly declared her desire to go to bed with him during the band's heyday. Another eye roll from Kate. <laughs> Being a big fan of Madonna and all that. So uh, Richard has come out as being bisexual. I thought he was just gay, but apparently he's, he's bisexual. Uh, he had a long-term partner who died in 2010. Uh, he was a BBC makeup artist uh, and died of cancer. And then he said, in 2007, my last relationship was with a girl, so I'm on the cusp. I have never described myself as completely gay. And uh, he commented that he appreciates pretty guys who look like girls and girls who look like pretty guys. Sounds like there's a song lyric in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's done a lot of uh, gay rights activism and a lot of charity work for mental health and homelessness. So, big tick on that. And in 2015, him and his brother launched a new campaign to encourage people to get tested for hepatitis C. Uh, and they spoke candidly about steroids, sex parties, and sharing drug-taking paraphernalia. So, 
obviously before they got famous, they just spent a lot. I think they owned a gym, and um, I'm too sexy was a bit of a dig, wasn't it? Or a bit of a, not a dig, but a bit of a a gym. It was parody, wasn't it? Yeah. Of like that sort of body beautiful type thing, and that's what I liked about it because it was a comedy novel, a comedy song rather. It was a parody. It was, it, it was like it was much more complicated than it may have appeared on the surface. So, in my opinion. <clears throat> but it could be read as a, as a, as a comedy yeah, yeah. release. Yeah. yeah, I think they've said it's not kind of a, you know, a major take on them saying that they were too sexy. It was, as you've said, it was kind of a piss take of people in the gyms that were hamming it up but in this video that they were um for this campaign you know they did talk about sharing needles to take steroids in the 80s and it was said it was just the way things were in the gyms because they weren't health clubs they were like them proper yeah proper strange <clears throat> gyms strange gyms <laughs> well i i there were one near my mum <clears throat> and dad's and obviously being a of the slim build i was keen to try and build my muscles at various stages it never kind of worked but i remember going to one of them gyms and it was Pretty intimidating, and they were kind of old, old buildings, dark and cold, and the equipment wasn't up to much, you know. So, anyway, uh, as for his brother Fred, uh, he's married at the moment to his second wife Alex. There's not a lot on Fred. Um, he's obviously kept his private life very private, and Richard seems to be the the spokesman for the the band. Um, the only things I could find out about him were more to do with his health. He suffered from asthma from a, a very young age and it affected his life pretty badly, I think. Um, in fact, in 2003, um, he was rushed into hospital and he was touching go whether he was going to live. So, um, yeah, it's been a constant battle for him by the sounds of it. Um, and then... The other thing that I, I thought was pretty interesting was they're really big on free speech, uh, but that's kind of extended to talking about anti-vaccine as well. So even though that Richard Fairbrass, who's now 67, was hop- hospitalised in August this year, they're still very opposed to the vaccine, uh, and he described it as a scam. <laughs> And the band continues to promote vaccine scepticism on their social media. They spent, despite him spending four nights in hospital, suffering from breathlessness with the the virus. Um, they posted in September, I think it was this year, uh, something on their Twitter. And it it read: Adults who are fully vaccinated are forty seven percent less likely to have a long COVID. Should they contract COVID nineteen? So their comment was, so 53% more likely. That's not impressive. <laughs> Which, obviously, they got okay. absolute pelters for, yeah. <laughs> Including uh, a comment from Tim Burgess of the Charlatans who said, wrong said Fred. <laughs> and Gary Lineker said, you're 47% less likely to die in a car crash if you wear a seatbelt. So you're 53% more likely to die in a car crash if you wear a seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that made the point quite well. Uh, and then, yeah, on the lockdown protest, which they joined in in London, 
they said that their argument's really about freedom of speech and the devastating effects of COVID on the economy um, and on the entertainment industry, the elderly, the vulnerable. So it was more to do with the, they said, standing up for free speech and the right to assemble. They said that they're not deniers of COVID, but they're defending the, the right of people to... Spread it around. Yeah. Well, pretty basically, that is basically what they're saying. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think all that lot was ridiculous, but... I think I don't agree with the way that things have been implemented in this country, and I don't agree with the fact that some of it's been passed into law that, you know, could very easily be misused. Um... But equally, I don't think that the the lockdown protests were really the way to go. No, there's better ways of doing it. I mean, a lot <clears> of what they're saying, some of it's actually fair enough. You know, they were saying that there's a lot of other things that have suffered. You know, they, they cite mental illness, domestic violence, child abuse, addiction, suicide rates have gone up, divorce rates have gone up. You know, so there's a lot of people in trouble, and you, you can't disagree with that, but you, I agree with you, and there's better ways of... Especially when you've got a platform. Yeah. You know, you've got a following, you, people know you, and they're obviously... I've been picking up comments about their other stuff, you know, so, you know, did they really need to go and do that, in my opinion? No, so... Um, but, yeah, I mean... I look back to see what which way they voted for Brexit, because they've been mourning about you know, how the government have handled, you know, the whole COVID situation, the fact that it's had a devastating effect on the entertainment industry, which it clearly has. But, yeah, they they voted to stay in, and I'm not saying everyone that voted to stay in were Conservative voters, but a big portion of them were, you know. You know, and they're saying that rather than shutting the country down and furloughing staff, billions should have been spent on care homes, the NHS. Um, so, it's kind of a... I mean, I have to say, I have no interest in them as political spokesmen or, or indeed, really as people. Um, I like the right Yeah, no, sure. <laughs> kind sure. of. I, you know, I mean, you know how I feel about, like, looking at musicians' like lives. It's just not a thing for me. I'm just not really that interested. To them, to me, they put the music out I like it or I don't. I judge the music. I'm not really that bothered about what else they're doing. Yeah, which is different to me. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, so do you want to get into the album? Can do. So it's got a... Is it a yellow cover with red lettering on it? It's quite a... It says, it's very basic. They didn't. They didn't really spend a lot on this. <laughs> yeah, it's just a uh, big yellow letters. Right, said Fred, and within those yellow letters, up is in the bottom right hand corner in red. So yeah, uh, it was released as I've already said, sixteenth of March ninety two. Uh, they've recorded a further eight albums. Last one in twenty seventeen, being called Exactly. It's their only US album released to date and it peaked at 46 on the Billboard 200 but it did reach number one in the UK album charts and it remained in the album charts for for almost a year and it also reached number one in Austria. Yeah, big fans in Austria. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so as I already said, the four singles from the album, starting with a song the band described as both a golden egg and a lead weight, I'm Too Sexy. The second single was Don't Talk, Just Kiss, which was released in November 91, and then followed by Deeply Dippy in March 92, the week before the album was released, the final single being Those Simple Things. So I have done a track-by-track can you cope with my track by track analysis? I thought I'd give it the C the same as all the other albums. I'm impressed. I wasn't gonna just skip over it. That you put the uh yeah. put the work in there. So I listened to it twice through Amazon Music and I put the vinyl on last night while you were doing your panto thing. Well I know that because I came home to the stereo turned off and the bloody vinyl still running round, didn't I? Yeah. Because <laughs> your record player's bust. I mean, it manually, you can turn it off. I know. I just, I just <laughs> forgot. Sozo. All right. Can you remember these songs? You said to me before we uh, came on air that you haven't really listened to it lately, apart from once, a couple of months ago. Yeah. Did so you listen to the vinyl then, or did you yeah. listen? Yeah. I think it was when I was setting up the record player. Okay. After I'd moved it or something. Right. I was doing something. So what were your thoughts when you listened to it again? Uh, patchy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the first song's called Love for All Seasons. Uh, it starts with piano and vocals. And I thought, yeah, it might be all right, this. Uh, but then, for the verse, it reverts to kind of a, a manufactured beat, strings, organ combo, and he's singing. He's like, it's like a half... half-spoken croak. I, so it includes, like, a hey, on the breakdown... And there's even a bit of like in it where it sounds like the piano's been played in the wrong, <laughs> out of tune or in the wrong chord. <laughs> so it's better when he's singing the chorus, <clears throat> but I, I just don't like his voice. So it's difficult to like an album when you don't like the singer's voice in it. Uh, it just sounds like he's kind of putting it onto me in a way. And when he's doing that kind of talking thing, it just, oh, it's horrible. When he sings, it's not too bad, but when he's doing the. Is that one of the songs you like? Do you remember that song? No, not particularly. Okay, second track is called No One on Earth. Um, and there's bits in it that sound like it should be from Kylie Minogue's debut album. Mm. Uh, it sounds very borrowed from that Stockhake and Waterman song. Um, but the breakdown and bridge, horrible. Chorus is all right. There's bits of it that are all right, but again. <laughs> no one on earth can make me feel brand new. God, yes, man. <laughs> so third track, I'm Too Sexy. I'm going to go into a bit of detail in this because it has got impressive credentials. Um, Because it, it was the first debut single by a UK artist to hit the number one spot in America since the Beatles, which is pretty impressive. And it was only kept off the top of the charts in the UK by Brian Adams. Everything I do, I do it for you. So it was number two for six weeks and it also stayed in the top ten for three months and was a number one hit in 31 other countries. Uh, the music video on YouTube has got almost 30 million views and it's appeared in over 40 TV shows and movies including The Simpsons, The West Wing, EastEnders and the movie Shrek. Or one of the Shrek films, I don't know which one it is. Uh, and in May 92, so a couple of months after this album was released, it was nominated for an Ivor Novello Award for Best Selling A-Side. 
So they're quite prestigious songwriting awards. Uh, apparently the idea for the song came about when the Fairbrass brothers were running a gym in London, as we've already talked about. Uh, there was lots of narcissism and posing, and one day he took off his shirt and started singing, I'm too sexy for my shirt, in front of the mirror as a joke. But apparently the band originally recorded it as an indie rock song. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was rejected by every record company that they tried to get it into. But they remained convinced it was destined for success, and one day... Well, they went wrong, weren't they? No, no, they weren't, no. A, a teenage receptionist at Red Bus Studios, where they'd been recording, heard it, and said to them, I think she was 18 or 19, I'll tell you what, I'm going to put it on a, a London female receptionist accent, I'll tell you what, I think this is a hit record. If I can get it on a radio, I want to manage it. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> That's a high point of today. Yeah. <laughs> I think the uh, I think I'll give that up. The band replied that if she could get it on the radio, then she could manage them and take her twenty percent, and they'd be happy. And she did exactly that. Uh, she got it in front of a, a radio plugger called Guy Holmes, and he was the one who was wasn't impressed when he played it on his car stereo. But apparently, his passengers latched onto the uh, "I'm a model, you know what I mean" hook, and Holmes asked them if they could rework it as a dance track. So that's how it. Uh, it metamorphosized from indie rock into a dance tune. Uh, so the um, DJ Tommy D, never heard of him. No. An acquaintance <clears throat> of Richard Fairbrass programmed the electronics around the original vocal, whilst guitarist Rob Manzoli added a riff borrowed from the Jimi Hendrix song Third Stone from the Sun. Another one song I don't know. Um, opening with Richard's vocals only. With the now iconic lines, I'm too sexy for my love, too sexy for my love, love's going to leave me. <laughs> <laughs> the single stood apart from the bland, insipid chart toppers of the year. Well, when you to... look at what was at number one, you can understand well, why it, it I, did something. I got this bit off their website <laughs> and I read it and thought, mm, this because this is them talking about themselves, you know. I'm too sexy was tongue-in-cheek, it was funny, it was brimmed with the band's independent spirit and the band was certainly not interested in following the trends at the time. So, yeah, so they were the ones that said it was in, you know, insipid chart-toppers of that year. So it was released in a, as a single in 91. I thought, all right, let's have a look at the number ones for 91. And to be fair, they're not wrong. <laughs> so we got Bohemian Rhapsody. Which, that's a re-release. Yeah, re-release, yeah. Uh, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me by George Michael and Elton John. Yeah, that's not a bad song. I know, but it wasn't... It was... Yeah. Oh, it's not my favourite. No, no. <laughs> Black it's or White... It's earnest. It's a bit too earnest. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Black and White by Michael Jackson. Dizzy by the Vic Reeves and Wonder Stuff. Uh, U2's The Fly. Then you've got Brian Adams Forever. Everything I do, I do it for you. Jason Donovan's Any Dream Will Do. <laughs> Colour Me Bad's I Want to Sex You Up. The Shoop Shoop song by Sure. <laughs> Chesney Hawk's The One and Only. <laughs> Hail and Pace is The Stonk. I don't know, I remember that. Oh, that was that... Um, <clears throat> oh, comment Relief song. Oh, uh, OK. Uh, another re-release. Wasn't the Vic Reeves one a, a charity record? I don't think so. It was. I think they might have done another one with the Wonder Stuff, but oh, okay. I think Dizzy was like their first one that kind of did quite well. Uh, another re-release, uh, Should I Stay or Should I Go, by Sir. Uh, 
by the Clash. I don't know whether that was used in a was it a jeans commercial or something Probably. like that. Probably. I mean, that's the thing. There's a lot of re-releases. Yeah. I mean, that is a brilliant like, song, but it wasn't but like released at that time. I was going to say yeah. they're all sort of. Then you've got "Do the Bart Man" <laughs> by the Simpsons. Uh, Three AM Eternal by KLF, which I guess that I like. Yeah, that's not an insipid <laughs> song, is it? So that's that doesn't quite count. Innuendo by Queen, and they'd kind of gone very introspective at that stage because obviously it was around the time that Freddie found out he was diagnosed with AIDS, or maybe it was around the time that he was. No, it was around the time that he was dying, wasn't it? I, I think, have I literally think, yeah. no idea. Yeah, and then the final song, the final number one, sorry, of 1991 was Sadness Part 2 by Enigma, which I vaguely remember, but it's kind of dancey in it. So. Yeah, I mean, it's a good song, but... Yeah. So anyway, uh, in April 2008, the song was rated at number 49 on the 50 worst songs ever, Watch, Listen and Cringe by Blender. But on the I mean, to be fair, it fits all three of those categories. Well, yeah. <laughs> on the flip side, in June 2007, just a year before the song was voted number 80 on VHS, uh, sorry, VH1's 100 Greatest Songs of the 90s, and in April 2011, it was voted number two on VH1's 40 Greatest One It Wonders of the 90s, which is a bit bizarre, seeing as Deeply Dippy got to number one, and this only got the number two. So it's not really a one-hit wonder. I think their uh, field of selection for that is a bit mm. a bit wider than it should be. So, yeah, I think it's one of them songs, isn't it? You either love it or you hate it, really. Uh, but I'm on the fence. It's all right. <laughs> I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's all right. It is what it is. So you love it or you hate it, but you don't love it or hate yeah. it. So I'm... it's not one of those songs. That... <laughs> I just mean in general. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean it's uh, it's been sampled since several times, uh, including Taylor Swift's "Look What You Made Me Do." But I watched that video just to kind of see what which bit was, uh, and I didn't pick it up from that. I think she kind of credited them saying it was the the rhythm was similar to it, but it's not obvious if you listen to that that it's um, sampled or whatever or borrowed from. And I, I didn't really like that Taylor Swift song. I mean, I, I I do really like Taylor Swift. I've kind of been listening to some of her stuff. I know you kind of were a bit like, what? <laughs> it's just a bit of a departure for you. Yeah, but um, <clears throat> that last album, Evermore, which you can listen to on Amazon Music, is, is fantastic. Really good album. And the one before that, um, Folklore, there's a song on there she did with uh, Bon Iver called Exile. I think that's a brilliant song. Really good song. Bonnie uh, Ver, they're the people that always play whenever you turn your phone on in the car. No? No, that's um, Bibio. Oh. Yeah, Bibio, yeah. <laughs> no, no, he's um, he's just like one guy. That's Bonnie Ver. I think he's, he might be Canadian, I'm not sure. He's or American. I'm getting him mixed up with Drake because he also recently sampled it and on that one it is pretty much... His song's called We're Too Sexy and it, it's just him adding to it and changing the lyrics, basically. Uh, so, so yeah, he's it's obviously done well from it, made him a lot of money. Um, I think the net worth's about five million quid 
I'm surprised it's not more. They might have spent quite a bit of it. <laughs> but yeah, they've done well off the back of it anyway, so that's probably why they, they call it the golden egg and the lead weight. A lot of artists say that. I was going to say, I mean, it's yeah. a lot of artists have that issue, don't they? When, when I said I'd been to that gig, hadn't I, where um, Baby Bird, because obviously he had that hit, and there were, the gig had been delayed, and then there were people in the audience who literally were shouting at the stage saying, play, play your hit sort of thing. And he refused to play it. You can't remember the name of it, can and you? No, I can't. <laughs> uh, be- uh, something about beautiful. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then basically they left in disgust. <laughs> and he went, oh, fuck, I'm on playing it. Right. Stephen, he's a Sheffield lad, wasn't he? Stephen Jones, was it? Yeah. You're, go- it was, you're gorgeous. Was a great. Um, it's coming to me. It was he. It was a great performance of it as well because right. there was real like sort of venom behind it, and obviously being with the song it is. Yeah. It was. It was. You know. It was an amazing performance. It was so good. Yeah. And it, I was almost grateful to those people for being idiots because he he was like I'm gonna. I'm going to sort of, you know, show them or pay them back, not show them, but do you know what I mean? They've really missed out and they properly did miss out because it was a great gig anyway. I mean, his other songs were fantastic. Where, but... did, where did you see it? In Leeds? Um, I can't remember, to be honest. I don't know. I know you've told me that story before, but I mean, that is a great song. I bet that's not in the top 50. No, <laughs> so probably not. Probably not even the top 500, but yeah, I mean, that is a brilliant song. I suppose we should get back to right, said Fred. Go on then. <laughs> okay, track four is called Do You Feel? Although if you try and play this on Amazon Music, it's listed as D-U-G-L with a G. Is <laughs> <laughs> any particular reason? Well, someone obviously got bored as they were typing it in, didn't they? Or nearly <laughs> fell asleep. So this has got like a, a drum rhythm start, but it's reminding me of uh, Everyone Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears, but it's got more spoken lyrics in it. Which are, if you can't get up, then just get rude. Do you feel like taking them down? God. It's a very one-dimensional song. More filler than killer, though. It doesn't go very far. (laughs) Pants, basically, was my comment on that one. Uh, And then the last song on side one is Is It True About Love? And this reminded me of a, a less punchy version of Kids by Robbie and Kylie. So whether they borrowed from it, I don't know. I'm punched up a bit because that, that were released in 2000. But there's like a really annoying clarinet or something over the top of it. Sounds like some snake charmers kind of <laughs> invaded the record. And again, it's got them slow-spoken lyrics on it. Oh, that's a dreadful song, I'm sorry. <laughs> Didn't like that at all. Side two opens with Deeply Dippy. And uh, this was their first and last UK number one. And it was three weeks uh, in April 92, knocking off Shakespeare's sisters. Two months chart stopping single stay. Uh, and it got to number one despite selling less records than I'm Too Sexy, all their follow-up, Don't Talk, Just Kiss. But it did fail to chart in America. Um, they obviously didn't like it as much. And um, But it did make number one in Ireland and made the top 20 in... Austria, Belgium, Germany, Austria, and New Zealand. I like that one. Deeply Dippy? Yeah. Well, I've put, finally, a melody and some 
instruments that are, you can kind of make out. So I put best of a bad lot, despite the awful song title. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I like it. It's simple. Yeah. It's got simple, like, structure. A, a, a sort of clear melody. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a clear structure. And the lyrics don't tie themselves in knots and don't try to be too clever. But there's a little bit of humour in them. Yeah. So yeah. I I quite like that one. That's one of my one of the ones that I do like. Yep. Uh, track seven is called Swan. So this has got kind of a a, a club. You know, I used to go to clubs. I like this in the early nineties. Well. It's like a drum and bass sound, and it, the, he's singing on. It's kind of a bit whispered. But, yeah, the lyrics that I picked out here. I've told you once when it comes to love, I'm like a swan. I only love once. The swans only love once, then. What's that all about? Yeah. That's the thing. You do not know that's the thing. Your general knowledge is shocking. Thanks. That's all right. Why do they only do do that, poor swans? (laughs) Monogamy is their thing, yeah? Yeah. Good for them. Uh, Track eight, Don't Talk, Just Kiss. So this was the, the second single. It reached number three. In December '91, was a top ten hit, top ten, top ten hit in several international territories. It was also released uh, in America, but only made number seventy-six. Uh, I like the sentiment of the song, <laughs> but I don't really like the song. Uh, however, Andy Castanus from the Charlotte Observer, I thought I'd look up some other reviews of this. Wrote, not only does it borrow itself from the disco of the 70s, but it borrows one of its personalities, disco diva Jocelyn Brown lends her vocals to write, said Fred, to make for a rollicking good dance song. And also Alan Jones from Music Week's uh, RM Dance Update deemed it a 70s-flavoured disco groove, allowing Jocelyn plenty of opportunities to ad-lib, which she does in her usual paint-blistering manner. So, obviously, good background vocals. Do you like that song? Yeah, I do. It's like those three, really. The three that I like um, off the album. So So when you kind of got the album, obviously you buy albums, don't you, off the back of single releases, were you kind of a bit disappointed in the rest of it? or? Um, No, because do you not expect that with albums? There's some songs that you really like. It was good enough to sit on the turntable and run the whole way through. Yeah. I mean, that's really what you lo- you were looking for when you were playing records. You yeah, didn't sure. have to keep getting up to skip traps because you hated them so much you couldn't even bear it. So it was it was good enough to sit and listen to all the way through, but I very much preferred the beginning of side two. Um, right. So I would I've definitely played like side two on side one. Despite I'm too sexy to be on side one. Despite that, yes. There we go. Okay, penultimate track is called Upon My Heart. So it starts all right. Better instrumentation and playing. But it don't quite get to a... It sounds like it's going to get to a really good chorus and crescendo. But it doesn't. Uh, I quite like the la-da-da-da-da's. <laughs> it reminded me, like, of that blur period when they were on Did the Great Escape and Charmless Man. na 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 Kind of that kind of thing. So I thought it was it was all right. One of the better songs. 
Oh, but I still can't get past his vocals. And the ending has got like I a... really like his voice. Do you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's a baritone voice, but I think he just it just sounds like he's trying to force it, like make it sound a bit... Well, I think that's why the first three on this side are better, because yeah. he isn't forcing his voice yeah. in the same way. They're much more... He's singing, isn't he? Yeah. And they're much more melodic, and he's singing them, and he's not trying to push, like... It almost feels like it, it. it almost feels like he's trying to be a, a character. You know, almost a parody of himself. Really, mm. I don't think he needs to do that. But. And it kind of ends with a lot of clapping and whooping and hollering. <laughs> Not having that. <laughs> the contempt dripping off your voice then, <laughs> and the, yeah. for the whooping and hollering. <laughs> I don't like it when it, it's on an Oasis track. I can't remember which one it is. I think it might be whatever. I'm just like, nah. Anyway, uh, final track is called Those Simple Things and they released this as a double A side for the fourth and final single with a song called Daydream, which was a single in 1966 with a loving spoonful. Didn't bother looking that out, sorry, Kate. Uh, simple, slow beat, good backing vocals, but not a track to leave you wanting more, even if you like this kind of stuff. Remember that one or not? Yeah, I mean, I I used to play side two straight through. Right. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So there we go. Right, said Fred. Do you want to give it a rating now? Let's give it a rating now. Oh, look at you wanting to get it out of the no. way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, having listened to it again, it isn't a great album. Um, I think I'd probably go with a five for it. Oh, I'm surprised you're as low as that. But no, fair, fair, fair play to you. But, I mean, when I bought it, I didn't think it was like, you know, yeah. a great piece of music. It was more just... I just it, thought, I guess I thought you'd rate it higher because when I said I'd pick this album because I thought we'd better do something on a year we'd not done. And you were like, yes! I only like, oh, because when, I can't remember what, what you did oh, because you cited it right at the beginning and then right. it's just been really funny because everyone was like oh god don't do bites and fried ooh, ooh. and it's it's just to me it was and, and I've got like quite an extensive singles collection um, because I used to buy songs that were um, of the moment yeah and this is very much of the moment yeah um, you know and it's very much kind of just 1992 like take take you back sort of thing so yeah yeah so, yeah true. i mean i don't have to love it now but it's from a nostalgia point of view it's it's kind of it hits the spot so yeah okay fair enough uh <clears throat> i'm gonna score it a three my friend i i mean i don't know why you say it like that i've got not I'm not invested in this in the same way you are. You can score it whatever you like. I scored it a three. <laughs> I'm happy with a three. So, up by right said Fred scores eight out of 20. I think that probably puts it at the bottom of our chart. But there we go. We've done it. Done and dusted. Let's move on to 1992. Nineteen ninety two. Mm-hmm. So you were second year, uni? <coughs> yes. Where were you living? Um 
Woodhouse, Norman House, next to the newsagents, where we would sit in the house and debate who could we bother to walk next door and buy a packet of fags. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <clears throat> that was the highlight, was it? <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I had a look at my old, old diaries to see what I was <clears> up to. As I said, I turned 20 the week before this was released, so... This was the bit when I was... trying to get into drinking. I didn't really like alcohol. <laughs> trying to get into drinking? I like getting drunk. I just didn't like the process <laughs> of having to drink the alcohol together. <laughs> so we used to go to the... Uh, Frog and Parrot pub on Division Street in Sheffield and have... I had three Rogers an ounce, which they only served in thirds of a pint, because at the time it was uh, in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the world's strongest beer, and that, that did me. Three of them downed in one, because it was like drinking treacle, it was horrible stuff. Uh, and I remember gate crashing a party in Crooks on my birthday night, and they were playing Divine Madness, that compilation that had just come out, Madness album. Um, I had an exam the day after Up was released an accounts exam and I'd written that it was the the worst I'd ever sat through <coughs> two hours long and I only got 30% done of what I was supposed to get done did you pass? I must have done because I think I also wrote that everyone else were in the same boat so they must have kind of graded it somehow oh, I don't know I never liked accounts anyway but I don't really remember it But um, and musically my mate Ringo, his birthday's three days after mine, so I bought him Nevermind on CD for <coughs> his birthday. And then a week after that, I had my worst ever football injury. Flicked the ball over my head and someone just came straight through the bloody back of me. And my ankle's never been the same since. Uh, yeah, don't play sports, boys and girls, it's dangerous. <laughs> Yeah, that were in the the bad old days. I mean, these <coughs> days that guy would have been bloody red carded faster than a. I don't think he even got a yellow card. Referee. Oh, oh you still feeling that? Look at your face. I know. <laughs> it caused me a lot of angst. I can't play now because of it. So, <coughs> it's killing me. Anyway, so that was me. Uh, let's have a look at what was happening in the the singles charts. I'm, I'm doing top ten, but I picked out some others just to get a kind of a feel for what was around at that time, because there was some good stuff. So, 39, Life of Riley, really good song by The Lightning Seeds. Dragging Me Down at 36 by The Inspiral Carpets. Under the Bridge was at 28, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Deeply Dippy was at 16. I think I've got a single, Under the Bridge. You have, I've just yeah. seen it, yeah. Uh, Nirvana were at 12 with Come <coughs> As You Are. So top 10, number 10 was It's A Fine Day by Opus 3. Remember that one? It's the one where, you might remember the video, that the woman's got kind of a bald head and she's got all these kind of things on her on the front of her head. I think I'm less likely to remember the video than the song. Yeah, all right, you might recognise if you saw it. But anyway, it goes kind of, uh, let's think. La, 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 da, 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 da. Amazingly, I actually do recognise that <laughs> from your singing. <laughs> Yeah. That must be a first. La, 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 la. <laughs> it's that one. Uh, different, isn't it? Mm. Not a bad song. 
you uh, two were at number nine with one. I'd go off you two. I know you had. You, you yeah. really liked the early stuff, didn't you? But, yeah. Um, Crowded House <coughs> were at number seven with Weather With You, which is a stood the test of time. really like that song. Number six was C.C. Peniston. Straight in at number six. Finally, remember that song? No. Finally, it's oh, happened yeah. to me. Brilliant. Right What's in going front on? of my face, like I just <laughs> cannot hide it. Have you like upped your singing game or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, because them earlier renditions were awful. Uh, Eric Clapton was at number five, Tears in Heaven, which was about his son, wasn't it, that died after falling from a. I think he fell, fell to his death from a bedroom window or something. Bit of a sad one. Uh, what Time Is Love by the KLF was at number four. Remember that one? Yep. What Time Is Love? <coughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, you've lost it again. <laughs> uh, Temptations were at number three with My Girl. We've talked about that before for some reason, haven't we? Well, we thought, oh, it, sure. was in the, it was in the top 50 of the right. Rolling Stone. Yeah. Uh, Shanice <coughs> was at number two with I Love Your Smile. Remember that? Yeah. And at number one, we had Shakespeare's Sister and Stay. Worthy number one. Good song. Yeah, good song. Great video. Don't remember the video. Don't you remember the video? No. Ooh, Describe the video. The video. Uh, it's like the fight, the two of them. One's dressed in black, one's dressed in white. It's basically ah. like fighting over the guy's okay. life. <clears throat> Very good. Uh, albums. So, again, I picked out a few that were out of the top ten. Amazingly... One of my favourite uh, albums, 10, by Pearl Jam, was at number 38. Peak position, it only reached number 18 in the UK album charts. And, and it, you know, it had only just been released then, so it was on its third week in the charts. I think it came kind of back in quite a few times, but I can't believe it never got higher than 18. Uh, Beverly Craven, by Beverly Craven at 31, I think you've got that, haven't you? I have. Yeah. I, I'm not entirely comfortable with owning it, I have to say. How come? <laughs> because I don't really like it, but there's a couple of songs that I do really like, and I'm just like, oh, it's just the antithesis of everything that I normally listen to. I think there's some good songs on that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very conflicted about Beverly Craven. <laughs> but I haven't got rid of it, so... <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Nirvana, <coughs> Nirvana, yeah, they were at uh, number 13 with Nevermind. Um, I missed out R.E.M. at number 30 without a time. Again, that is one of my favourite albums, as is Nevermind. But, so there's some good stuff around here. But that must have been on its way down. I think that was released in 90, wasn't it? Out of time. 1991, because it was 53 weeks on the chart, so hold on. So yeah, it must have been 91. Number 10, we had... Uh, Real Love by Lisa Stansfield. Don't really remember that album. I had a first one, but not that one. Uh, number nine, High on the Happy Side by Wet Wet Wet. I could say exactly the same about that because I had their first album. <laughs> Popped in, sold out. Uh, an album that I did have was Woodface by Crowded House in an eight. That is a really good album. There's some great songs on there. The Very Best of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons in at number seven. Hormonally Yours by Shakespeare's Sister at six. Now going blank again, in at number five by Ride. Can't believe that was straight in at number five. I went to see them at the Octagon in Sheffield and I wasn't that impressed. I probably quite like it now, but I, I thought it was just a bit too 
don't know, different, I don't know what the word is. It just was a bit one-dimensional, I thought. I think it was one of them things that you probably had to listen to lots of times and I just couldn't, I couldn't dig it. But it wasn't that album. Nowhere was the album that I remember, which has got kind of that seascape on the front. So this one didn't really ring any bells, so I was a bit amazed that that had gone in at number five. Number four was After Hours by Gary Moore. So he's the guy that does the... He's a renowned guitarist. It's all right. Not really my kind of thing. Uh, we got a nice air guitar there, just for anybody that can't <laughs> Sorry. Wasn't as, good as, wasn't as good as Steve's next door, but... Well, he's he the, is the king of He is the king of air guitar, isn't he? You did give it a little try, didn't you? <laughs> I did. Uh, Stars was at number three, Simply Red. I do have that album. I do like that album. <laughs> Some really good songs on that album. I know it's not everyone's kind of cup of tea. I think it? Simply Red are difficult because there are some really good songs, yeah. but then there's some absolute dross as well. And it's it's really, yeah. There's a lot of good stuff on there, though. That, that is a, <clears throat> I'll give that a good... I'd listen to that again. That was a good album. Uh, greatest Hits uh, for Tears for Fears in at two, and that album's called Tears Roll Down. And at number one, the aforementioned Divine Madness by Madness, which we've talked about before. I couldn't really be into the mod thing at the time, but when this came out, I bought this album. <laughs> Brilliant album. Uh, one of my favourite best ofs. Uh, so let's go movies. So I've gone for two charts here, because it's a bit weird. This... There's no definitive, I think I've mentioned this before, UK box office chart. I think whoever compiled is a, um, a website called Salty Popcorn where we get these figures from and they kind of say it's a bit difficult. So, And there's some stuff on here that I'd never really heard of and I was kind of into my movies at the time. Uh, at number 10, there's Problem Child 2, which when I looked at it, I thought, oh, is that, that horror thing? But it's not, apparently it's some sort of comedy thing and the kids are a bit of a nightmare for the parents looks awful got panned probably why i never heard of it number nine father of the bride which was a steve martin kind of vehicle never saw that i was aware of it snow white and the seven dwarves in it number eight for some reason <coughs> must have been a re-release yeah i do they, they did start to re-release disney right around then so maybe they'd like re mastered or digitalised the... Yeah, I guess these days you kind of take it for granted that you can just, if you want to watch something, you pay yeah, for it and it's there, Yeah, but obviously that you couldn't, could yeah, you, so... fair point, yeah. Uh, <coughs> Prince of Tides was at number seven, which was Nick Nolte and Barbara Streisand. Never saw that. Last Boy Scout, Bruce Willis. Cops with guns blowing things up. Didn't watch that. Uh, a film at number five called Shining Through which starred Michael Douglas, Melanie Griffiths and Liam Neeson. Uh, and the synopsis of this is an American woman of Irish, Jewish, German parentage goes undercover in Nazi Germany. Passed me by that one. Never, I'd never even heard of that film. Uh, number four, Hear My Song, uh, starring Ned Beattie, Adrian Dunbar and Tara Fitzgerald. I watched the trailer for this. Looks like it might be all right. <laughs> the owner of a failing club seeks infamous Irish singer Joseph Locke in order to bring business and success back to his club. Uh, number three, Star Trek VI, <laughs> The Undiscovered Country. I, I thought that's what all Star Trek episodes were about. <laughs> uh, Cape Fear was at number two, which was a Martin Scorsese movie starring Robert De Niro, Nick Nolte and Jessica Lange. 
Uh, and this was about a convicted rapist released from prison after serving a 14-year sentence who stalks the family of the lawyer who originally defended him. I'm guessing he wasn't right happy that he got put away. <laughs> uh, but never saw that. And then Fried Green Tomatoes was number one in the UK. Starring Kathy Bates and Jessica Tandy. And this is about a, high, a housewife who's unhappy in a marriage. And uh, I don't know how she meets up with Tandy. I think she's in a retirement home, nursing home. But she's enthralled by her tales and kind of changes as a result of this friendship. Have you well, ever seen that you film? will be entirely unshocked. He's not to seen know any of them. <laughs> that the only one of those that I've seen is Snow White. <laughs> okay. I possibly might have seen the Star Trek one, but it would have been later when it was on Polly. Yeah. Well, it looks all right. I've seen <clears> that fried green tomatoes. It's got good good ratings. Don't know they'll go out of my way to watch it like. But. So in America. Uh, the only one that was kind of the um, same on both lists was the Fried Green Tomatoes, which was at number five. Uh, at number ten, they had The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, which was that Rebecca, Rebecca De Mornay film, remember that one, where she was a babysitter and or a nanny and somehow wrecked havoc on the family because she'd lost her own baby and all this kind of stuff. It was one of them psychological, suspenseful things. I saw it, it was all right, actually. Uh, number nine, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. I'd never heard of that. This is a Chevy Chase and Daryl Hannah and Sam Neill. And this didn't look good. It looks like one of them films that didn't age very well. And not just because of special effects. It just looks naff. Uh, synopsis being, after a freak accident, a company executive turns completely invisible, goes on the run and becomes hunted by a treacherous CIA official whilst trying to cope with his new reality. Uh, number eight, White Men Can't Jump, which was um, Woody Harrelson and... I think Wesley Snipes about basketball. Didn't see that. Medicine Man in at number seven, Sean Connery. Uh, this sounds quite interesting. Eccentric. God, I can't speak now. An eccentric scientist working for a large drug company is working on a research product in the Amazon jungle. He sends for a research assistant and a gas. Oh my God, what is that word? Chromatograph. Chromatograph. Because he's close to a cure for cancer when he, the assistant <coughs> turns up to be a mere woman. He rejects her help. Meanwhile, the bulldozers get close to the area which they are conducting research and eventually learn to work together and begin to fall in love. Now, maybe it doesn't sound that interesting after all. <coughs> Number six, Stop All My Mum Will Shoot, Danny DeVito, Fragging Tomatoes at five, The Lawnmower Man at four. This was based on a Stephen King short story from 75 where a simple man is turned into a genius through the application of computer science the Brilliant My Cousin Vinny at number three. The Infamous Basic Instincts at number two. Wayne's World, Wayne's World, number one. Thanks for that. You must have seen that. <clears throat> You've seen that. Yeah. What else have you seen? I've seen My Cousin Vinny, I've seen Basic Instincts. And that was it, I think. Oh, and uh, Hand That Rocks a Cradle. Any comments? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, UK News. I picked out quite a lot of news. Have we got time? Five minutes for the news. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I went February to April because March seemed a little bit slim when I first started looking. So, significant event on the 7th of February, Maastricht Treaty makes the European Union official. Uh, on the 6th of March, Parliament passes the Further Education Act, allowing polytechnics to become unis. Don't really remember that, but I remember kind of <coughs> Polly's becoming unis. 
uh, and we were in the throes of um, a general election because on the 11th of March, Ringo's birthday, John Major announced a general election for April the 9th. Uh, and Shadow Chancellor John Smith condemns the recent budget as a missed opportunity by the Conservatives, saying that they did nothing for jobs, training, skills, construction or economic recovery. Some things never change, eh? Uh, 18th of March, South Africa votes for change. So some good news. The white South Africans have backed an overwhelming mandate for political reforms to end apartheid and create a power-sharing multiracial government. In a landslide victory for change, the government swept the polls in all four provinces and all but one of 15 referendum regions. It won nearly 70% of the vote in a record turnout. In some districts, exceeded 96%. Uh, when did you go to South Africa? Oh, later than that. 97? Right. Sometime around then. Okay, so a bit more stable when you were there. Uh, 9th of March, Fergie and Andrew split. I think they've been married six years. Uh, 24th of March, election campaigning becomes dominated by the war of Jennifer's ear. So this was um, Labour running a particle election broadcast about a five-year-old girl with glue ear who waited a year for the simple operation to insert vents. And this case was contrasted with the case of a girl with a similar condition who was able to afford private treatment of the kind that had been granted tax breaks by the Conservatives and was able to resolve her problem quickly. The party highlighted the alleged mismanagement and underfunding of the National Health Service under the Conservative government Labour leader Neil Kinnock enjoy, employed the slogan, if you want to vote Conservative, don't fall ill. Yet again, something's <coughs> never changed. <laughs> History repeating itself, eh? 25th of March, Aldershot FC, uh, who were bottom of the football, fourth division, football league, declared bankrupt and became the first football league club in 30 years to resign from the league. And on the 26th of March, television entertainer Roy Castle, who currently... Uh, who obviously was famous for record breakers, announced that he was suffering from lung cancer. A sad story, that one, because he did die of it, didn't he? Mm -hmm. uh, 30th of March, John Major climbed onto his soapbox in Cheltenham. Uh, he declared his backing for the barrister turned Tory candidate who was standing in the general election in 10 days. Three new opinion polls put Labour ahead of the Tories. One for Channel 4 indicates they're virtually neck and neck. And uh, the Liberal Democrats, 17%, Conservatives, 40%, Labour, 39.6%. Uh, it seems that Mr Major may have resorted to his old-fashioned soapbox and loudspeaker in a desperate attempt to inject some enthusiasm into an otherwise lacklustre campaign. Do you remember this general election campaign? Mm. I kind of remember it for that bit where Kinnock was on the beach and fell backwards which is a bit of a sad thing to remember it for, but that must have been after they, they lost. Because um, on the 1st of April, they were showing a slight lead. Um, Grand National, a horse called Party Politics, ironically won and became the tallest horse to win the Grand National. <laughs> uh, at his pre-election speech on the 5th of April, Kinnock promised a strong economic recovery if he leads the Labour Party to election victory on Thursday. But uh, that didn't happen. The final Mori poll before the general election shows Labour one point ahead. 
and most opinion polls show a similar situation, hinting at either a narrow Labour majority or a hung parliament. But on April the 9th, the Conservative Party are re-elected for a full successive term. In their first election under John Major's leadership, their majority reduced to 21 seats, but they've attracted 14 million votes, the highest number of votes ever attracted in a general election. Notable retirements from Parliament at this election include former Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and former leader Michael Foote. Oh dear. So yeah, not great news that right. Let's move on to the TV. Happier things to talk about. Any idea what your TV diet was in 1992? Did you have a, a telly in your room or your... Nope. Unipad? Nope. No. Shared had, TV on? We had a rented TV and video. Really? I don't know if we even had a video actually. We had a rented telly in the lounge. Uh, did you congregate much in the round, uh, lounge or did you all kind of tend to stay in your own? No, we spent a lot of time together. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Hitman and her? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure that was 92. Um, post clubbing. Yeah. Um... I don't know. <laughs> Probably watched Neighbours, stuff like that, like daytime telly. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I was watching Neighbours as well. Brookside. I didn't really watch Brookside. Can't beat a bit of Brookie. It was good back then. Not around anymore, is it? Killed it off. Uh, cheers. Didn't watch that. <coughs> eh? Really? I thought, I thought you'd watch that. Brilliant theme tune. As well as a good good show. Roxanne? Did you watch Roxanne? Yeah, I liked Roxanne a lot. Yeah, uh, The Wonder Years, one of my favourite TV shows ever. I mean, the odd episode if it was on, but no. Oh, what a programme. Not slavishly like you did. What a programme <coughs> that was. Uh, the Word? Yes. Uh, um. Obviously, whatever sport we're on. Yeah, I <laughs> obviously wasn't watching the sport. No. Question of sport? No. All right, well, let's have a look at what was uh, on BBC One on the 16th of March, 92. Teenage Mutant, it says. I'm guessing there's some Ninja Turtles in there as well. <laughs> news round, Blue Peter, Neighbours, 6 o'clock news. It's the classic build-up to the news, followed by Wogan... Watchdog, something called Mulberry, never heard of it. Wildlife on one, nine o'clock news, Panorama, and then your favourites, Cagney and Lacey. So they'd obviously shoved them out to the 10 o'clock Monday night repeat <laughs> section. I'm guessing it was at its height in the 80s, that one, it? Yeah. When uh, we kind of watched it. Another good theme tune, I like the theme tune to Cagney and Lacey. On the radio, we had. Radio 1, Lynn Parsons. Ooh. Bruno Brooks, Simon Mayo, Simon Bates, Newsbeat, Jackie Brambles, Steve Wright, who's still in the afternoon, Mark Goodyear, and that was pretty much it. And I think Simon Bates was one of the first guys to play I'm Too Sexy, and that was one of the, the uh, things that kicked it all off. Uh, so also... What else have I got for the telly? On the 27th of March, during the 1992 general election, 
Conservative MP Edwina Curry, remember her? Mm-hmm. I think she had an affair, didn't she, with Mr Major? Famously pours a glass of orange juice over Labour's Peter Snape shortly after an edition of the Midlands-based debate show Central Weekend, after it had finished airing. Speaking about the incident later, Curry said, I just looked at my orange juice and looked at this man from which this stream of abuse was emanating and I thought, I know how to shut you up. Sounds about right for her. Uh, 28th of March. She was, it was not, that was not what she was most famous for though, was no, it? No, She that was, was the most egg famous thing. for the egg stuff. Yeah. Salmonella issues. Yes, Salmonella. Our son and his cousin. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then 28th of March, Amanda Normansell. Remember her? No. Not surprised. She won the third series of Stars in Their Eyes performing as one of your karaoke favourites, Patsy Klein. To be fair, I used to watch Stars in Their Eyes and <laughs> they should have never taken that off the telly. <laughs> <laughs> I think it got even better when they did Celebrity One, didn't it? They were well up for it, weren't they, old celebs? Oh, I don't really remember. I just It was just a great programme. I used to like it just being normal people. <laughs> Matthew, <laughs> tonight, tonight <laughs> I am... <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> yeah, that was good telly. I wonder if Gladiators, it seems around that time Gladiators were on. Is that a bit I later? I bothered about Gladiators. I think wasn't that earlier. In 92? Yeah. Don't know. I quite like Gladiators. Duffed, but it were all right. Sporty. Nah, not really. <laughs> they were just daft competitive yeah, stuff. Competitive. <laughs> Lycra clad men and women yeah. showing off. Competitive and like a cloud sounds exactly like the sort of thing I wouldn't have bothered about. <laughs> you don't seem to mind uh, what's them two that are on now? Wipeout. Oh, that's a bit older, isn't it? Wipeout? What are you on about? Wipeout? Is it Wipeout? I don't know what you're talking about. Is that about? one where they do like uh, like as an assault course and, they, and the last one where they have to jump in like a, a rubber ring and go on like a. In the, there's water and everything. Where are them. Spinny things are trying to knock them all over. Yeah, that's just comedy, isn't it? Like, <laughs> people that's falling that like, off stuff. That were like gladiators. That's well, not the same. Ninja Warrior. It's all that kind of stuff, isn't it? It's all the same sort of thing. I mean, I watch Ninja Warrior as a family thing. Uh, I don't sit there and watch yeah, it on my yeah, own, yeah. do I? I don't know. I don't no, know if you get it on your own. I really don't. <laughs> Fair enough. So what are you watching now? Death in Paradise. <laughs> Is that from 1992 and all? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm on series five. I think we're up to about 2011. <laughs> Bloody hell. Maybe a bit later than that, but yeah. We've got lots of series. I wanted something that had a nice long run that I could watch. We quite like our old stuff, don't we? We're watching, uh, revisiting Medium, which we never finished watching. Back in the day with Patricia Arquette. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been watching... Well, I've been on my cross trainer, The Mandalorian, which is on Disney Plus, which is, if you're a Star Wars fan, fantastic. And I've also started. I mean, watching... I'm a Star Wars fan, and I have to disagree. <laughs> you only saw one episode. Yeah, no, it's it enough. Wasn't. You didn't give it a chance. Okay. I'm not going to just for the record. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and I've also started watching uh, Ted Lasso. Late to the old Ted Lasso thing. It's absolutely brilliant. I've no idea what you're talking about. Uh, it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not going to sell it well. 
So I've just got to say one word and it's going to put you off. But it's it's about uh, a coach who comes over, an American football coach who comes over to manage a Premier League team. But it's not about the football at all. I mean, the football's kind of in the background. It's the characters and it's funny. It is proper funny. It's the first thing I've watched in ages. I've actually laughed out loud at So Enjoying that. So I might make you watch a couple of episodes with me and see if you can get into it. Okay. I might be busy. (laughs) Doing what? Watching Wipeout. (laughs) Anything. Ninja Warrior. (laughs) What about books? What you're you're reading at the minute? Uh, I'm not reading anything at the minute. No? No. That's a bit poor by you. I've been busy. I've just revisiting... Um... I've just been really busy, like, making baubles constantly, carving yeah. Father Christmases, yeah. packaging stuff to go to the post office, and practising dances for the pantomime. You know what? I forgot to put a link on for your Etsy shop last time, so I must remember to do that tonight when we publish this episode. It's too late now. I'm not posting anything else for Christmas. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm thinking about the post-Christmas pickup. Okay, fair enough. With all your wonderful <clears throat> antique stuff on there and china and whatnot. Fair enough. It's well worth a visit. <laughs> Come on, I'll give it a plug now. You've got to watch Ted Lasso with me. <laughs> <laughs> right, so let's just uh, close up with um, what we're doing next. And that's pretty much it, isn't it? Oh, and our singles of the week. I've gone for the brilliant new single by Ian Prowse as my single of the week. So I've not gone retro for once, I've gone brand new. His new single is called Battle and it is from his forthcoming LP which is released next year, One Hand on the Starry Plough. Uh, We watched the video this afternoon, I've heard it a few times now. As ever with Ian, very catchy. What did you think on first listen? Wasn't speaking to me on first listen. Sometimes his songs really do, and sometimes they tend to mm-hmm. grow a bit. It's got a proper catchy chorus. I like it. And um, what have you gone for, Kate, out of your seven inch collection? Uh, you went for the presidents of the United States of America? Peaches. Peaches, indeed. Picture disc. A fine looking picture disc. I'll get a, we'll get a picture of that to put on our old social media. I remember buying it because it was a picture disc and it was probably reduced. <laughs> I mean, I they seem to have a short, sh- <clears throat> a short self shelf life. Those guys, peaches, lump. Mm. We just watched the video. The video was a bit uh, normal, and then some ninjas appeared for no reason. <laughs> I'd seen the video before. It's a good video. It is. It's a good single. Fantastic single, yeah. And it was from 96, wasn't it? Mm. So, Kate, what have you picked for our next episode? Um, I can't remember what we've done with it. Oh, Stone Roses. What's it called? The Stone Roses? No, maybe. Debut album, Stone Roses by the Stone Roses. Have you got it? No. Have you ever listened to it? No. Oh, wow. I mean, someone else might have played it, but I've never had it. I've never had it on tape. 
CD record of it. Happy <clears> listening. <throat> big record for me. As we all discover. All your records are big records for you. No, they're not. <laughs> there was one you picked recently I was like a bit embarrassed by. Version 2, wasn't it? Probably. Even though Kylie was a big record for you, clearly you were still embarrassed by it. Oh. <laughs> I'm embarrassed by it. It wasn't a big record for me. Anyway, that's what it is. So, um, if you could, please subscribe to us on your favourite podcast listening. We are on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and every other podcast platform going, including Anchor, which we record this on. Um, follow us on social media. Just look up Memorabilia Podcast. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Or you can send us an email on at memorabiliapodcast at gmail.com Anything else to add, babe? Nope. It's a wrap. And it will be plenty of wrap next week when we get the presents out. A boomtish. We'll see you on the next episode, which could or could not be released on Boxing Day unless we get our finger out and do something a bit earlier. (laughs) Thank you very much for listening and hopefully we'll have your ears next time. Well done. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.